Hi, I'm Maddie. And I'm David. And you're listening to Legend Logic. For the beginning of series four? Series four. Natural disasters. How does it feel that your brainchild of how long were you thinking of this whole idea? Uh, About five years. Five years? That your brainchild of five years is now, what, six, seven episodes old? Wow. How does that feel? It feels really good. So how are you today? We kind of woke up and went our separate ways and I haven't even gotten to talk to you today. That's true. That's true. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm good. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I'm still getting used to the fact that I wake up and I work in the same environment that I have a day off. So it feels the same, but also very different. Yeah, we both work from home. So it's it's kind of confusing to to have the same space that you work in be the space that you live in for sure. Yeah. And I mean, like I was just sitting at my desk because I usually sit at my (laughs) desk and watching YouTube videos that I sometimes watch during breaks at work. So yeah, it's weird. But I don't have any quote-unquote responsibilities either. So it, it feels good. My morning's been horrible. You want to know why? Yeah. Um, so you know that bag of cuties we got from Target? Mm-hmm. Yesterday I tried three of them and they were all disgusting. And I was like, I give up. Honestly, I'm. this is this is a demon is in this bag of, of, of clementines. And then I woke up this morning mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what I'd really love? a cutie. I would love one of these to be delicious. So I open one, peel it, peel it, eat it, disgusting. Peel another one, eat it, disgusting. This happened to four. Four of them. <laughs> I bet there's one in the bag that's going to be really good, Okay, though. well, honestly, if anybody out there has the secret to picking out good bags of cuties, like, please let me know because I'm, 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 I'm indignant as a consumer. I feel like with oranges and, like, Citrus fruits, it's hard to tell when looking at them if they're going to be well, good Well, I'm or not. mad. I'm honestly angry. Fair enough. But, but, you know, you just got watermelon the other day that you said that, was really, really right. good. That so, was the best watermelon you know, I've ever had. You win some and you lose That's some. That's true. I've also had all of um, Phoebe Buffay's songs stuck in my head this morning. Oh, really? So my brain's just been going, Integrin spelled backwards is nergit. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> or, or uh, will Betty be the one that he loves truly? Or will it be the one who will call Luli? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, Smelly Cat gets all the love and recognition, but she but has yeah. some real bangers yeah. that aren't just Smelly Cat, you know? I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Do you want to um, talk about why we're here now? Yeah. Um, we are going to be talking about natural disasters, but I'll get into exactly which natural disaster situation we're going to be talking about. But I want to ask you, and the audience can think of this when I ask you too, but what did you think was the most terrifying natural disaster? Like when you were a kid, what natural phenomenon like kept you up at night? Like was it fires, tornadoes, Uh, hurricanes, quicksand? Kept me up as a kid. Let's see. I guess I was 
really afraid of the world ending, mm-hmm. like the apocalypse and the rapture, and I was told that the world was going to end by fire. Okay. So I was deathly afraid of fire because I was afraid of the world ending because I was afraid I was going to wake up and my family was going to be gone and I was going to be left here. Mm-hmm. It, that whole thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's great. It's great. Sure, but sure. I'm, I think it was fires, and I'm still afraid of fires. Like, okay. Not like bonfires, but like if our house was on fire, I would be having a meltdown. Okay. Well, the audience doesn't know this, but we just watched the last episode of manifest last night and it, it was may or may not be similar but it wasn't i'm not going to say anything in case people out there haven't watched it yeah. but it wasn't necessarily fire sure okay fair so, enough but i agree it's it was scary I didn't anyway like it. manifest is amazing guys it is but we're sad now because it's over. i know it's left a giant void in my it's life giant void yeah. um but we're really off topic so when i was a sure. child yeah fire. Mm-hmm. fire fire would have been what i was afraid of okay fair enough for me it was tsunamis you lived inland ohio well not i guess That's not as not a kid correct. but you, <laughs> I, you didn't I lived live in on africa the coast. no but i was Really terrified of tsunamis as a kid. I imagined this one single giant wave coming in and crashing over everything. And that's not, like, not really how, like, tsunamis work, if you ever watch videos of them. But anyway, like, little swells that would, like, sweep people back out to sea and, like, you'd never see them again. Like, that thought terrified me. Or, like, me getting trapped somewhere and, like, all the water rushing in and then me dying. Like, I was terrified of it. But... So anyway, unsurprisingly, my natural disaster story is about a tsunami and the aftermath of that tsunami. On March 11th, 2011, at 2.56 p.m. Japan Standard Time, 20 miles under the surface of the Pacific, six minutes of seismic activity shifted the ocean floor 45 miles off the eastern coast of Japan. Activity so violent It literally shifted the Earth's axis and generated the most powerful earthquake in Japan's history. My lord. I know, I'd never heard of like... Something shifting the Earth's axis. I know, that's wild. I don't know all the science behind that, but it sounds crazy. It sounds serious. Yeah. The worst, however, was yet to come, as waterborne shockwaves caused a procession of tsunamis, some of which approached 40 meters in height. Now, Richard Lloyd Perry, in his book, Ghosts of the Tsunami, wrote that witnesses described a great wind, which made a strange sound no one had heard before. And this wind blew in from the sea shortly before the great tsunami loomed into view. So the earthquake happened. The tsunami didn't come till an hour afterwards. So there's this, like, in my mind, like, really spooky, like, in-between time. (laughs) You hear this great wind that made, like, a strange noise, apparently, and then you can see the tsunami, like, off in the distance. These waves, when they came in, were so dark, witnesses even described them as black. It's not just, like, normal water, which is terrifying enough, but for some reason, it's really dark. All of this is just, like, really spooky in my mind. All of this ended up causing damage estimated to exceed $200 billion dollars claimed the lives of nearly 19,000 people, making it the largest scale killing event in Japan since the atomic bombing of Nagasaki, and caused the meltdown of the Fukushima nuclear power plant, which shifted the way the world looked at nuclear energy and the fail-safes involved. Interesting. Was yeah. this, this was before Chernobyl or after? Uh, I don't know the timeline on that. What year was this? This was 2011. 
Oh, probably this was after. after. Yeah, well yeah. after. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I was just curious. I couldn't remember what year we were in. No, but I included that because it always makes me sad when I hear about these events that shift the world's view of nuclear energy because I, I think nuclear energy is a type of energy that, if done correctly, can solve a lot of energy issues that we have today. I watched a documentary of Bill Gates and he his like organization did a lot of research and developed like really good nuclear power options but because of events like this like popular opinion of nuclear energy and stuff is really bad so they can't get the funding and approval to get some of those projects off the ground. Anyway, so I'm talking about this on the Legend Logic podcast because there was some reportings of supernatural occurrences that happened after the tsunami happened. And these potentially supernatural events that surrounded this tragedy began even before the event itself. So Perry, in his book I mentioned earlier, which centers around the destruction of a primary school in which 173 children lost their lives, tells the story of how an 11-year-old had a nightmare leading up to the tsunami in which, quote-unquote, the school is gone. That happens in so many natural disaster stories where somebody has a dream and then the next day it happens. So, like, I do get that it's spooky, but at the same time, like, everyone is having dreams all the time. So, like, the fact that, like, one person in that whole area had a dream about the school being gone could just be a coincidence. I don't know. Think about it what you want, I suppose. Okay, so now we're shifting to after the tsunami. This is months after the event. There was a sociology graduate student named Yuka Kudo of Tohoku Gakuin University who was writing a paper. And in preparation for her writing this paper, she attempted to speak to over 100 taxi drivers in the area, and she had seven that gave her interesting stories about things that happened after the tsunami. So, one of these seven taxi drivers shared a particularly vivid account. So, he was working one day, months after the tsunami, and he picked up a woman. She got into the cab and asked to go to the Miyagi district. Only one problem. The Miyagi district had been completely destroyed by the tsunami. So, the driver explained this to her, and the driver said he looked at her, and the woman reacted shocked to this revelation that this area was completely destroyed. And she asked him, quote-unquote, have I died? Because she was trying to go home. This is months after this area was completely destroyed. Weird. Another driver told the story of picking up a young man who's around 20 years old, so like a little younger than us, and he was wearing a thick coat. He said he immediately, this is the driver, he said he immediately sensed something strange about the passenger. He began the trip again to an area that had been affected by the tsunami, but I guess it wasn't completely destroyed, so they could still go to it. And apparently this drive must have been pretty long from wherever they had been picked up from, because by the time they arrived, the sun had already set. But the driver looked back when he stopped to let the passenger out, but when he did... The passenger was already gone. So it's one of those uh, resurrection Mary. Yeah, like type that's stories. the exact thing that I thought of. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and maybe this will come into play when we talk more about what we think about these stories later. But there are physical records of these trips that corroborate these stories as well. So well, there yeah, because the taxis are probably like tracked and yeah. they have receipts and yeah, exactly. nobody paid for that cab ride. Yeah, so at the very least, no one's like making up the story from scratch, right? 
There were still other stories shared by a Buddhist monk, and this Buddhist monk is like central to a lot of these like creepy stories that happened because he made it a point to help some of these people who were affected by these like strange occurrences that were happening. But he told one particular story and it, it was about a man who, and he lived miles away from the from where the tsunami struck. And he decided one day because he heard about what the destruction looked like and stuff, but he hadn't been down to see it. He didn't really know how bad it was. So he decided one day to drive down to the beach to see the aftermath. And apparently he was pretty shocked and like shaken up by what he saw. He went back home that evening, just like any other day, and he sat down for dinner with his family. But suddenly he began rolling around on the ground making animal noises. He ran out into the open field by their house and began rolling around in mud and then he woke up the next day and had no memory of it ever happening but it continued on and off for several days he spoke strangely he talked about the dead he threatened violence to people he reportedly saw a line of spectral figures covered in mud walk past his house Eventually, he went to see this Buddhist monk who was able to then drive the spirits out in a sort of exorcism-type action. And uh, I'm just going to mention some of these other sort of supernatural things that happened just in passing. I won't go into super detail, but there are numerous other supernatural reports as well that include a fire station getting calls from villages of the dead. There was a medium that was reportedly so overwhelmed by restless spirits that she required an exorcism herself. And the author of this book, because there were so many supernatural occurrences that were happening during this time, he went as far as to say it almost seemed like it was an epidemic of these different occurrences that were happening. Now, shifting into a discussion part of this whole thing, one of the articles I read, it discussed an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that covers this whole thing. Great episode, by the way, go check it out. In this article that's talking about this episode of Unsolved Mysteries, it said that the episode uncovers the story of the victims themselves oh. rather than those who were left behind. Now, I'm not convinced that's true. When this article says that it's uncovering the stories of the victims themselves, it's saying that these are ghosts of people who died in the tsunami who have come back to tell their stories or whatever. Okay. But I think these stories and these hauntings occurred because of those who were left behind and their grief and trauma that they have now following the tsunami. So you, the article said this episode's really a good representation of the victims that were lost, but in reality, it kind of isn't because it's the story of what other people experienced after they were gone. Yes, that's how I feel about it. But to the contrary... Something that I found pretty interesting when it comes to this discussion is that Japan is really a mostly secular culture. Mm -hmm. In global polls, it ranks as one of the least religious countries in the world. Yeah. But something that Perry mentioned is that respect for ancestors is something that is very much still alive and well. These spiritual and supernatural occurrences were happening in this relatively secular culture, I thought was interesting to mention as well. What are your initial feelings about these different stories? So I definitely agree with you that it's very likely that a lot of the grief and sorrow that came out of this is what manifested itself into these stories. I also think it's very likely, and I don't know if you know how much media was covering these occurrences, mm -hmm. but in 1962 in 
it's now the United Republic of Tanzania, but I don't remember what it was in 1962. There was like a laughing epidemic where these schoolgirls started giggling one day and then couldn't stop. And then the whole school was laughing and couldn't stop. And it like spread like wildfire where people were laughing uncontrollably. It was like not a joke. That like there terrible. were it was terrible. But it was just kind of mass hysteria a little bit. So mm-hmm. you could argue that if the media was covering these stories, it happens to one person and then it happens to another person, and then it happens to another person. With all of that going on, I, I could see where that kind of thing could spread mm-hmm. um, in belief. I also think, and this is where uh, I part ways with you in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. I also think that the energy of a place probably changes drastically Mm -hmm. when something like that happens and that energy can manifest in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. i don't disbelieve the people that say you know somebody got in my cab and i drove them 30 minutes and then when i turned around they weren't there like i Mm -hmm. i can't not believe that okay so whatever happened to them whether you believe it was the the past person or it was an angel or it was a demon or it was a whatever it was mm-hmm. i don't know i will also say this though even though japan is not super spiritual mm-hmm. they are very into myths and monsters and cryptids mm-hmm. and like there are a lot of japanese ghosts and japanese legends and tales that yeah kind of play into the things that we know now. So I'm not surprised that this kind of thing is happening in Japan. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's interesting because a lot of the things that you just mentioned really come out in popular culture, I feel like. So I feel like I was almost surprised that it ranks as a very not spiritual place compared to other countries. That surprised me quite a bit. I definitely think that the respect for ancestors probably plays into it Mm -hmm. because if you lose family like that and the respect for family and ancestry is so strong there of course you'd want to see them again or like of course you'd want to help somebody find their home or find their family i don't know i feel like the that connection could very well play into a spiritual connection like that Hmm. so you overall think that at least some of these stories were not just in people's heads. I mean, I'm going to tell you exactly what I told you when we talked about the Winchester Mystery House. I believe that they believe something happened to them. Mm-hmm. Who am I to say? I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. The taxi driver with the woman who wondered if she was dead, that made me extremely sad. Let's say that when we die, mm-hmm. whatever we believed... Whatever was our culture is mm-hmm. what happens to us. Let's say that that's, that's true. Okay. So that means everybody's correct. Mm-hmm. In that sense, I feel like in Japanese culture, you could argue that because they aren't that spiritual, they wouldn't necessarily be aware of their spiritual body or like their spiritual existence and would have to be almost told if they were stuck somewhere. Interesting, but you don't only hear about those types of stories in Japanese culture, though. Like, I feel like that sort of experience of what ghosts are like and what ghosts are aware of is pretty common when talking about ghosts in just about any scenario. Not always. Some are very aware they're dead. Some are. But stories of ghosts having to be told that they are not visible, cannot interact with the physical world, that type of thing, I feel like 
that's not a story or experience exclusive to Japanese culture. There was the man in the taxi as well. He drove him all the way to a place and then looked behind and he was already gone. That's Resurrection Mary as as crap. That's such an American trope. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an everybody trope, but like that's that's the number one ghost story. Yeah. It's the it's the knocking on the door and saying, "Where's Betsy? Betsy's been dead for fifteen years." Mm-hmm. Like that's that's that. Yeah, and I like those. There was the one about the man potentially being possessed, making animal noises. Rolling yeah, see, around that in the mud. one doesn't track for me. What do you mean? That one is the one that bothers me because if. Japanese in Japanese culture, if they're not very spiritual, what is that? What is that? Like I don't. I don't know. That strikes me as like a weird that mental illness. That strikes me as mental illness. Yeah, yeah. The one, the part of that one that I thought was interesting is that he saw a line of spectral figures covered in mud walk past his home because that's like the part of it that really connects it to the tsunami. So what it was believed that he was channeling all these like animals and people who had died in yeah, the mud. Yeah, I'm not sure. I. Because when you think of possession, I usually think of it's either, like, demons or... In this scenario, I would imagine that it points to, like, someone who's passed away as, like, possessing him briefly or whatever. But then why why is he making animal noises that... Yeah. That's a confusing one. I find it interesting to hear you say that you've always thought of possession as either demons or people who have died. I only think of it as demons. Yeah. Usually, but now, like in this scenario, when lots of people have died, and then this he is experiencing possession in a scenario that it seems like it's connected back to the tsunami, it makes me think of it as you know a ghost type situation as opposed to a demon. See, I would see it as a a demon feeding off his guilt, his survivor's guilt. And then the medium who was reportedly so overwhelmed by restless spirits that she required an exorcism. I have a hard time believing that. And obviously I'm not a medium mm-hmm. wouldn't, and wouldn't claim to be, wouldn't try to be. But you'd think that if that was your profession, mm-hmm. you would know when enough was enough. You would know how to help yourself. You would know how to protect yourself against that. Like that would be medium 101. Like, I right? agree. I, I think that's the least convincing one to me just because... I don't necessarily buy into the vast, vast, vast majority of psychics, of mediums, of those people. But even if you tend to take them for what they say that they are and everything, like you have to admit that there are psychics and mediums out there who don't have the quote unquote gift that they claim to have. There are swindlers, for sure. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I just feel like that's a bad uh, marketing scheme. Like, even if that, yeah, that's like, true. if you were trying to get customers that way, or like trying to vo- trying to validate your mediumness, mm-hmm. you wouldn't say, "I'm such a medium that I got possessed by ghosts." Mm-hmm. You would be like, "I handled this." Like, I don't know. I mean, to me, that like you know, you could argue that she's trying to say like, "I have such a clear connection to the spiritual realm that I almost can't turn it off," type of thing. Regardless of the fact that I don't necessarily buy into a lot of these stories, tsunamis are still really spooky to me. I don't discredit anything that anybody experienced because I wasn't there and I have no right to tell them that they didn't experience that. But mm-hmm. 
uh, I find some of them hard to believe for sure. Yeah. And if all of them are true, it makes me really sad because that means that there were a lot of people suffering after death that didn't need to suffer. Yeah. Agreed. So kind of a bummer at the end of the day. A little bit. A little bit. But we're talking about natural disasters. Like, what do you expect? It was going to be a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to bum you guys out next time on my episode. Mm -hmm. I'm excited for your episode as well, as per usual. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Legend Logic Podcast or send us an email at legendlogicpodcast at gmail.com. And send us your suggestions if you have any ideas, because we're a little bit into this now. I feel like we're like we're obviously still learning, but, you know, if there's some different uh, structure we could have to it, I've been playing around with some ideas in my head, and I'm interested with other suggestions as well. Interesting, because you've shared none of these ideas mm -hmm. in your head. Signing off. All right, we'll talk to y'all later. Bye!